uh, welcome to Disaffected, the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. That's from our new product and our new sponsor, Suddenly Charo by Betty Crocker. Take one half cup mayonnaise and the spice packet and then suddenly... <laughs> I've had Charo in my head all week and now you will too. Advertisers, you want some of this? You want somebody like me selling your stuff? I know you do. Call me. All right, let's go. This week, we're gonna talk about Kevin getting banned from Twitter. Don't worry, we won't dwell. We're going to talk about how I told you so about Highland Park shooter Robert Cremo's family. And we're going to explore an object lesson in how those kids who are going to get a comeuppance in the real world are actually the managers now. So let's start right out with social media drama. I told you recently that my personal account was banned on Twitter and it's actually turned out to be a blessing. That place is a sewer. Well, Kevin is now banned too. And of course, these bans are capricious and arbitrary. They accuse users of inciting violence, targeted harassment, etc. It's almost never true. So it was ridiculous enough that I got banned for using the word slut in a tweet. But you can almost see how they stretched it. I defy you to tell me how the following tweet got Kevin banned. Take a look. So, of course, this is, this is Twitter. You may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. Did you get all that? Okay, let's look at Kevin's tweet. It was a response to some of our local harassers or harassettes, as I'm sure they'd like me to call them. And here's his tweet. Dude, you're so funny. You still pretending that I'm stalking you? Let me read it again. Dude, you're so funny. You still pretending that I'm stalking you? That was the tweet that Twitter says is hateful conduct. Explain that to me. I'm still waiting. We speculated about the. Oh, wait, wait, wait. First, one of the people that Kevin is responding to in this tweet is a local, uh, local man, local to us, or local to me, actually, in the Burlington area. He's a man who wears falsies in a wig and who participated in the Twitter pylon against Christopher Aaron Felker, uh, my Republican friend who got harassed in the bagel shop, against Kevin, against me and others. And that pylon included actual threats of bodily violence against us, although it was very, very thinly veiled. That was fine. That was absolutely fine that they did that. Not ban-worthy for them at all. Because, as I said, Twitter likes this. Twitter affirmatively approves of intimidation and harassment against targets that Twitter dislikes. Twitter would be very happy to see people like me, people like my friends hurt. They don't disapprove of this at all. They like hateful conduct. They do. They just like it against the targets that they think deserve it. 
so Kevin and I were speculating what could possibly have done this. And the sick thing about it is it might be the fact that he used the word dude at a trans woman. Trans woman, which is a word for not woman. Mama Cranks. <laughs> That's the Twitter handle of one of these dudes. Mama Cranks, you're a man. You've got a cock and balls, an Adam's apple, and a male torso that your clingy dresses don't disguise, and they certainly don't flatter. Your false tits are obvious, and you look exactly like what you are, which is a man in drag. You're a drag queen. Except you've gotten people to pretend that they think that you are a woman. And you pretend that you think you're a woman, when in fact you know you're not. That's the thing with narcissists like you. A lot of times you're actually aware of what you're doing. That's what makes it so frustrating for people like me when I see normal people and people who like to think of themselves as, as caring and open-minded and sympathetic. I see them falling for this stuff all the time. They look at somebody like you and they think, oh, well, he must have that gender dysphoria they're talking about. It must be very difficult for him to live his truth. You know, I mean, he gets up every day and, you know, dresses as the woman he is or the woman he feels he is. And, you know, what a lot of bravery that takes. What bravery? What bravery? This, this behavior is applauded right now. It doesn't take bravery to be a silly-looking drag queen anymore. They'll put you in a school in front of children. They'll let you stick your literal ass in their face. They'll let you spread your legs in front of the children. And then when people complain, they, they'll say that it is you who has a dirty mind. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, Kevin refuses to go back to Twitter, and he's absolutely right. Uh, he was just steamed over this, and, and I'm with him. Um, so Twitter... What I have to say to you, and I, I feel confident in speaking on behalf of Kevin as well, I, I'm going to take a quote from Taffy Davenport in Female Trouble and, and let you know that I don't want my account back, and I wouldn't suck your lousy dick if I was suffocating and there was oxygen in your balls. Ding! Okay, let's move on to celebritards. I don't know who most of the celebrities are today. It's a function of age, but it's also a function of how many of them there are. The factories have been churning them out at full tilt. Well, I mean, who was the first one who really got famous for being famous? Was it Paris Hilton? You're right, but that seems like all they are now. So I had no idea what this creature was, but the, apparently there is a creature named Halsey. Um, and it is apparently a recording artist with an important message to the world. And this, this is Halsey's message to the world. Headline from Elite Daily. Halsey said abortion saved their life after multiple miscarriages. Elite Daily, this is kind of rich, isn't it? Read that aloud again. Oh, sorry, I'll do it for you. Halsey said abortion saved their life after multiple miscarriages. How many people is Halsey? Let's find out. <laughs> From the article about Halsey. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade has inspired many influential voices to speak up about the importance of abortion and reproductive rights. 
After the June 24th ruling, many celebrities were furious over the Supreme Court decision and took to social media to share their thoughts. Most recently, Halsey revealed abortion saved their life after three miscarriages in a powerful essay. <laughs> I'm like, how do you miscarry inside of an essay? <laughs> Sorry. Um, and also shared that they will continue to fight for every person's right to choose. It's only segment A and I'm into the voice already. Notice the erasure of any words that connote female, girl, or woman. In an article about how terrible it is that abortion rights were allegedly taken away. But notice that it's a woman, Halsey, and undoubtedly female editorial staff at a fashion magazine. It's women making sure that the word woman is not used. Women. Oh, you think the newsroom at Elite Daily is controlled by men and patriarchal values? <laughs> Honey, the only men in there are the light and the loafer kind. A bit more from a woman whose actual name is Ashley Nicolette Frangipan. That's Halsey's actual name. She says that she had three miscarriages. Quote, one of my miscarriages required aftercare, a gentle way of saying that I would need an abortion because my body could not terminate the pregnancy completely on its own and I would risk going into sepsis without medical intervention. End quote. While they felt helpless during the procedure, Halsey wrote, do you hear this? Do you hear this? It's, ugh. I was desperate to end the pregnancy that was threatening my life, Halsey said. They felt helpless. But how odd, since uh, Ashley Nicolette Frangipan refers, she goes back to referring to herself as a singular, unitary, boundaried entity by speaking of herself as I in the first person. What's going on here? I thought there were multiple people sharing a Halsey. <clears throat> Who knows? Now, I don't know of a single US state that bans terminating a pregnancy if the mother is going into sepsis and is going to die. This is just not an honest way to present this. And if you do know of such a state, it's possible. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not unaware that there are parts of the country and there are legislators on the right who are so extreme that they will in fact try to write laws that say you have to let a woman die rather than save her life over the baby. That, that you know, there are people like that, but it's not a lot of them. And of course, yes, if that happens, if some proposal like that is up there, you know, you got to fight it. I'd agree with you on that. But that's not the landscape of abortion right now. If you know of a state like this and you can cite the actual state law, uh, leave a comment in the YouTube section. And I'm, I'm quite serious about this. I'm not going to pay attention to your comment unless you do what I'm requesting you do. Cite the actual language. Don't refer to it. Put it in front of me and give me a statute number so that I can read the whole law too and everybody else. Thank you. Uh, there's a little more from this. Thankfully, 
Halsey was able to have the abortion that saved her life, and it allowed her to, su to successfully give birth to Ender, who turns one later this July. Do you notice something here? All of a sudden, Elite Daily goes back to referring to Halsey as a woman. It saved her life. Well, who's her? Who's the her? Don't you mean they? They, them, their? Elite Daily? Don't you mean they, them? <laughs> but, of course, that's the nitpick. The real nugget of this is the horror of this statement. I'll read it again. Thankfully, Halsey was able to have the abortion that saved her life, and it allowed her to successfully give birth to Ender, who turns one later this July. See how abortion led to the birth of beautiful baby Ender? Without that abortion, little baby Ender wouldn't be here. God, this is grotesque. This is grotesque. You wonder why men like me aren't as sympathetic to all abortion arguments as we used to be? It's because of this shit. And it's not just, it's not just recording artists like Halsey. I see women, including sometimes women I know, on social media, liking shit like this. Ashley Nicolette, friend Japan, you are not a victim, you are a narcissist. And you're a liar. It reminds me, the episode we did a few weeks ago that we opened up with, um, oh, I'm going to go long here. I can tell you that right now. We opened up with that young woman screaming at the camera about the Supreme Court decision. Not on my watch, fuckers. You remember her. I was surprised by the number of viewers who popped in, both in the, in the live chat and in the comments, to say, but she's right, though. No, no, actually, she's not right. No, she's not actually factually correct. She's not right to say that the government is now forcing American women to give birth. That is not correct. That's not the part she was right about. That can't be what you were referring to. So what were you referring to? She's not right that women have no other options. She's not right that this is the fault of men. She's not correct about this. And she's not right that this decision is part of a war on women. None of that is correct. So if you're one of the, yeah, but she's right, though, leave a comment again. I'd love to know exactly. Be specific again. Please be specific. But she's right is not an answer, and, and it will be ignored. But if you can say specifically how she's right, I'd like to hear this. Mm. That's enough of that. <laughs> Let's talk about world-famous children's author, Joanne Rowling. Joanne Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, has been one of the few well-known women who has pretty consistently refused to toe the trans line. She refuses to use the pronouns on command. She refuses to pretend that she doesn't know what a woman is. 
Uh, and she's been mocked and insulted and tweeted at abusively by the tens of thousands, maybe even the hundreds of thousands. And she's been noteworthy to a lot of people who care about this issue because she is one of the few, excuse me, well-known, famous, influential women who has not been afraid to say these things. And she deserves credit for that. But as with all things feminist, there's another side to it. And other people have noted that aside from the trans issue, and this, this is true of, of, of many people who are anti-trans, but just anti-trans, anti-trans incursion, um, rolling is in, in every way except for that an, a bog standard 2022 progressive liberal in every other way. She's completely on the left. Like so many others in her set, she has fallen for every victim narrative that gets pumped out by the left. She sees oppression where it isn't. She stumps for leftist politicians. She believes everyone's claims of, I was racialized, I was, I was misogynized, I was this, I was that. It shouldn't really be surprising when you scratch under the surface that there's almost complete disagreement between people like Joanne Rowling and others who are more centrist or more conservative when you get off the reservation of the transition into other things. And this shows up in, her, in Joanne Rowling's nasty jibes at men who actually give a shit about women, women being oppressed by this in the circumstances where they are oppressed. And, and you know, who better to take a jab at for her than conservative commentator Matt Walsh. This man is regularly libeled and mischaracterized by liberals as, uh, he's got one of the driest sense of humors, senses of humor that you can find. Even I, and I've been listening to him, not for a full year, probably about six or seven months now, and I listen to his show most days, even I sometimes still can't tell when he's being serious and when he isn't. But the thing is, when you go back and reflect on it, you know he isn't being serious. Um, you know, he just deadpan, he makes dry deadpan jokes, sexist jokes. He jokes about wanting to be a theocratic dictator and people are like, well, he's a Catholic and he really does. He wants to make the whole world worship Catholics. Blah, 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 blah. People just get hysterical about it. Meanwhile, he's sitting there grinning on the inside because he doesn't show it. He's much drier than me. Um, but it's especially liberal women can't stand him and they can't stand... What they can't stand about Matt Walsh is his complete rejection of the idea that men need to be deferent to women's emotional demands. He, he won't do it. He won't do it at all. He just says no, absolutely not. And his saying no and actually making fun of it and saying to women who pull these histrionic tantrums that you're actually acting like a little girl, it enrages them. It enrages them. Simply that he won't treat it seriously. And it's noteworthy. I'm talking about Matt Walsh because we're going to show you some tweets between him and Joanne Rowling. But it's it also interests me because when I listen to his show, I agree with Matt Walsh on probably 85 to 90 percent of his opinions. I'm not a believer. I'm not a Catholic. Um, I am not um, anti-abortion to the extreme that he is. He doesn't think that it should happen under any circumstances at any point in pregnancy. We part ways there. Um but I notice, because I keep notes for the show all week, and I notice that almost every single topic I hear on his show, I have, I have already plucked 
for my show. Right? It's just the overlap is uncanny. The same things that irritate him irritate me, but also the same things that he sees as he doesn't put it this way, but I've told you before about how I'm always talking about little things and making a big deal about things that aren't connected to anything and I'm just exaggerating. He sees the same things I do. He doesn't talk about it the way I do, but he sees them too and he sees them as bellwethers or indicators or canaries in the coal mine for where our culture is going. So there's this huge overlap and I'm, I'm very sympathetic to many of his positions. So here's what happened this week. Um, yeah, we're just gonna make segment one a little longer take it out of somewhere else. So this week, singer Macy Gray went on social media and stuck her head up and wouldn't agree with the trans agenda and said in, in not so many words that trans women aren't women and that everybody really knows what a woman is. And she's right. But sure enough, the very next day after this, the very next day, she was on morning daytime television babbling, stumbling over her words, umming and eyeing, carefully testing and then pulling back and then trying another test and then pulling back and moving over this way. She's trying to dodge uh, the digital version of, of rotten fruit. There was no sign of the confident, well-spoken stance that she'd taken the night before. I mean, this was a woman who was so nervous she could not complete a sentence. And she said that morning that overnight she had learned a lot from the pushback, that she's sorry that she hurt people's feelings and caused harm, that she learned so much, and she learned it all overnight, remember, and ended up saying, you are what you say you are. So we all know what a woman is the night before, but then she realized, because she, she, she did the learnings overnight, and learnings are distinct from lessons, they're, they're better. She, the learnings overnight taught her that you actually are what you say you are. There aren't any real categories, it's just what you say you are, okay? And that being a woman is a vibe. A vibe. Macy Gray, you're 50. Stop talking like that. So Matt Walsh called her a coward because she is a coward. And she's like millions of cowardly women on the left today. But it's worse than cowardice. It's collaboration. Women like Macy Gray are now actively working against the truth and against the ability to say the truth in public. It's not merely that they put down their sword and said, okay, I'm not gonna fight for this anymore. They joined the other side out of self-preservation. So she's gone from somebody who can, uh, you know, that, that, that people might admire for the bravery of stating something we all knew until five years ago. She's gone from that to actively working for the trans side, again, overnight. It's cowardly. So here's the, let's take a look at the exchange between Matt Walsh and Joanne Rowling. So Matt's original tweet was about Macy Gray and he said, sorry, but women who publicly renounce the definition of woman for fear of mean comments from trans activists deserve all the scorn they can get. That kind of gutless cowardice is exactly what got us into this position in the first place. He's correct. Joanne Rowling says this in response. Endless death and rape threats, threats of loss of livelihood, employers targeted, physical harassment, family address posted online with pictures of bomb-making manuals aren't mean comments. If you don't yet understand what happens to women who, who stand up on this issue, back off. Back off. Matt, 
Matt responded to Joanne Rowling. And I will note, not in kind, not snarkily, straightforwardly. I respect the courage you've shown on this issue, J.K. Rowling, but many people have simply caved to the demands of trans activists and completely surrendered truth and reality to them. The cowards are also villains in this story. They need to be held accountable. Yeah. Here's Joanne's response. And your film did a good job exposing the incoherence of gender identity theory and some of the harms it's done. Many institutions I used to admire have uncritically embraced, have uncritically embraced this dogma, but I reserve my ire for them rather than shouting coward at individual women. Typical liberal woman, Joanne Rowling is. I reserve my ire for institutions. Why? Well, because when there's an institution out there that oppresses you, that means that you're not responsible for anything. So like all feminists who believe the way she does, she reserves her ire for institutions to make sure that no individual woman is ever held accountable. That is the goal. Women will not be held accountable. They are only ever victims. And no, no, they're not going to explain to you why that's not an insult to the agency and grown-up uh, self-conscious nature of women. They'll just say, no, no, she's a victim. No woman is ever going to be held responsible for the decisions she makes or the people that she collaborates with. To focus on the, these patriarchal structures and pretend that women haven't done this to themselves, this whole trans thing, and to everybody else who has to live in this gynocratic values regime that's been imposed on us, it's, just, it's ridiculous. This is why Joanne Rowling is upset with Matt Walsh. Listen, Macy Gray, the singer, is a millionaire celebrity. Joanne Rowling is a billionaire celebrity. And Rowling has received very abusive tweets over the years. She's received death threats. And I'm sure that she's received many more than we know about publicly because she's probably smart and her security team are smart and they're not going to, to put that out in public. That is serious. She's absolutely right about this. It's not acceptable, obviously. But you see, it only matters when it happens to women. Because you know what? Matt Walsh has received death threats as well. Threats against his family. I've seen them. He talks about them on the show. He reads some of them. But Joanne Rowling wants to talk about what happens to women. Because it hurts more when you're a lady. Right? It's meaner when you're a lady. Oh, I know. I know. And those of you who want to object right now, stop being disingenuous, Josh. You know what she means. Yeah, I do. What she means is, it hurts more when you're a woman. How, how does it, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not going to indulge this bullshit is what it is. And then the feminist charity called Philia weighed in. Um, and it, very, it's all very girl boss. Back off. Yeah. Back off. Back off. You will receive far less backlash than Macy Gray simply because you are male. Stop picking an easy target and start doing the hard work, as feminists have been doing for years. You don't get brownie points for targeting women. No, Philia, you back the fuck off. Men get death threats 
abused. They get their families threatened all the time for defying the woke. They get fired and nobody gives a shit about it because it wasn't a woman being oppressed. Yes, I am saying right now that you can get away with actively and actually discriminating against men in ways that you cannot with women. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am saying that feminists and women are in a culturally more powerful position right now just like trans people are in a culturally powerful position, even when they claim they are the most marginalized and oppressed. Hmm, what a strange connection. I wonder however that could have happened. Feminists don't care what happens to men, and a lot of them don't care about what happens to boy children either. I hear an awful lot, I hear it from people like Joanne Rowling, and I hear it from other feminists all the time about what trans is doing to women and girls. And it is doing bad things to women and girls. But I always notice the lack of, it's not women and children, it's women and girls. Because what's happening to boys doesn't matter. And it's not happening to boys, and if it is, it's good. Or it's, uh, stop, 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 why are you trying to take the focus off women? Deflect, deflect, deflect. It seems to me that the difference between the men, I mean, look at Billboard Chris, the gentleman from Canada, we've had him on the show, he's a father, he goes out across, the, across North America, literally gets on a plane, wears a sandwich board that says things like children cannot consent to puberty blockers, and stands on the street to engage strangers, to let them know what is actually happening with so-called gender-affirming care in children. He has had his arm broken by a man on the street. He has been spit on, he has been kicked, he has been threatened. But that's okay, right? It doesn't happen to men, it only happens to women. Frankly, professional feminists right now are flat out bragging. They're bragging about their death and rape threats, yes. I meant to say that, and I meant all of the unfortunate implications that some of you are hoping I didn't mean. I did mean them. They are bragging because they do care more about being seen as victims than they care about stopping this problem. Yes, I'm not implying that. I'm stating that I believe it directly, just like all other wound collectors. Here's the deal, feminists. You have demanded for at least 40 years that men be more sensitive, that they talk about their feelings more, that they listen to you more, that they do what you say more, that they act like girls more, that they talk and, and emote in offices more like women, that they deny their natural impulses, that they put up with constantly being called natural-born aggressors and rapists who have to be tamed and allowed to live in order to be allowed to live among civilized humans, which only includes sex-class women. And you've gotten most of what you want. You've gotten what you want. You've got the culture by the balls, ladies. No more. You really want to change this situation that's hurting all of us, that's hurting you as a woman, hurting your girl children, hurting lesbians, hurting boy children, hurting gay men? You want to change this situation. Why don't you man up a little bit? Hmm? Uh, yeah, you don't want to hear that? Tough. Listen to it anyway. You've been bitching for decades about how men need to be more soft and empathetic. Well, you know what? I think you need to stop being so weepy and so self-centered and so 
frankly manipulative and stop your damsel in distressing. Stop bragging about your rape and death threats. Stop affecting to be terrified every single moment. You know damned well that words on Twitter, as, as insulting as they are and as obnoxious as they are, are simply words. Stop saying you're traumatized. Man up a little bit. You want men to be a little more sensitive? They become so goddamn sensitive. It, it, you, they're already there. You need to come over here with us a little bit. Can we share this, please? That's enough. Um, we're going to take a break here, but I want to let you know that on Tuesday, we've got an hour-long new audio-only episode out. We're coming back on schedule. We're going to be talking to therapist Jake Whiskerchin about guns and mental health. So remember to subscribe on your favorite audio platform anywhere you get your podcast. You won't find it on YouTube. You got to look it up on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you get your audio content. See you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. First thing I want to say is a thank you to the ladies of Disaffected who helped me out with the makeup advice about a month ago when I told you that I was sweating like a pig and I needed better powder. Well, those of you who told me to use primer under the foundation were absolutely right. I don't know what kind of sorcery this is, but number one, it makes the foundation look even better. And number two, it has somehow kept my greasy uh, oleaginous skin from pushing the oil through to the front. Have I disgusted you enough yet? Let's stop talking about this. Anyway, thank you. Because <laughs> it's hot as hell up in here today, but I look like I'm cool. This section is called I Told You So. Remember last week that we talked about the shooter from the Highland Park, Illinois Independence Day Parade, Robert Cremo III, and we talked about his parents, particularly about his mother, Denise Piscina, and I'll remind you, um, here's Denise with her breastful bounty that we showed you last week. And, and we talked about how there was no apparent motive, right, for this shooting that left seven people dead and 36 people wounded. And we talked about how everyone talks as if these young men who go on killing sprees just sort of do it out of nothing. They spring out of nowhere. Or if we give an explanation, if we get past no motive, uh, we are told that it's because misogyny. We're not told how the misogyny got there. I mean, first of all, just assuming that it's misogyny. But even if it is, we're not told how it got there. It's always, well, you know, the, um, the oppressive institutions that Joanne Rowling uh, reserves her ire for, it's always them. It's not, it certainly isn't ever the home life. 
and it's certainly not ever mommy. <laughs> well, it's not true. It's almost never true. We talked about last week how his mother, Denise Piscina, was known for emotional instability. Neighbors and, and townspeople, listen to me, townspeople, the village folk said so. Fighting with coaches, forgetting to pick up her children at the after-school sports program, and acting as though her children were a nuisance, in the words of her son's Nerf football coach. We also discovered that Daddy Cremo, Robert Cremo Jr., enabled his son helped keep the cops away from him. He downplayed a series of threats that his son made to kill his family and to kill other people. Then, after this incident, after this kid's knife and sword and machete collection got temporarily confiscated and daddy got it back by saying it was daddy's collection, not his son's, after all this happened, after the threats to kill people, after the threats to kill his family, Daddy Cremo turned around and signed a form that allowed his son to get a gun that he would not otherwise have been eligible to get after that mental health situation. Well, it gets worse than what we discovered last week because there's more. The following that I'm going to tell you about is from Fox News. Take a look at this handwritten document on your screen. This is Denise Piscina's conviction paperwork from 2002. Guess what it was for? I'll quote from the article. Oh, no, actually, I won't. This is her conviction for leaving her son, the shooter, her two-year-old son, in a hot car with the windows rolled up in a parking lot. And you thought she just forgot to pick him up. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. So surprising, isn't it? Those kids are just a nuisance. When you're trying to go into the liquor store, you don't need them hanging around and making everything sticky. Quote, and in 2012, that's 10 years later, Piscina was sentenced to a year of probation and 100 hours of community service for driving under the influence after getting pulled over with a flat tire and a blood alcohol content of 0.21%. That is drunk, okay? She had a strong odor of alcohol on her breath and failed field sobriety tests, a police officer wrote in the report at the time. Well, Denise Piscina also made many allegations of physical abuse by past boyfriends before she married Robert Cremo, Daddy Cremo. In 1999, Piscina sought an order of protection against ex-boyfriend Stephen Brown, whom she accused of sexually assaulting her four-year-old daughter, Cremo III's half-sister, Cremo III being the shooter. The girl's father had previously died of carbon monoxide poisoning, According to court documents, she, Denise Piscina, had also, she also had to sue to establish paternity so the child could have a share of her father's estate. Well, those allegations may be true or they may not be true. But in either case, they are, these, these kinds of choices, and this wasn't the only man that she's had problems with in the past, um, these are exactly the kind of choices that borderline women make every day. They're the kind of choices that my mother made. They're the kind of choices that other borderlines in my family and my circle of friends have made. Um, 
people like this, unstable people like this, particularly women, when it when it comes to the, these situations, they tend to be attracted to unstable and violent men, often narcissistic and sociopathic men. So it's often true that they are abused by these boyfriends, but it is also true that they consistently pick them over and over, and they get pregnant by them over and over, right? It's not usually the case. It sometimes happens, but it isn't usually the case that a woman simply finds herself surprisingly in a relationship with a man who just turns out to be like this. It's usually that this woman comes from a background where this is what she was taught to expect, sadly. And it's all very sad, but I don't have very much time for sadness when children are brought into it, and they almost always are. This guy quoted in the story really gets it when it comes to the motivation of these shooters. Quote, if you're growing up in that kind of traumatic environment, it can create an imbalance, said John Kelly, a criminal profiler and psychotherapist who's interviewed numerous killers. There's no question about it, he said. There are also indications of a cluster B dynamic between Denise Piscina and her husband, Robert Cremo Jr. This information comes from an article from The Hill. Quote, Police records from 2009 to 2014 showed domestic disputes between Robert Cremo III's parents that included allegations of both verbal and physical abuse. In one of the police reports dating back to 2010, Cremo Jr., Daddy Cremo, claimed that Piscina, quote, had hit him with a screwdriver on the left forearm, but later refused to add that to his written statement. In another incident, uh, Robert Cremo Jr. alleged that she hit him on the head with a shoe. Quote, a report from August 2010 detailed claims from Cremo Jr., Daddy Cremo, that an argument started because of their failing relationship after he said he came home to find his wife intoxicated. Piscina told police that she was upset from an incident earlier in the day when Cremo Jr. had, quote, disrespected and belittled her. And the argument began after he, quote, began commenting on her poor appearance, end quote. Sounds believable on both sides. This sounds exactly like what a borderline woman and a narcissistic and or codependent enabling man will get into. Notice the allegations that she got violent with him and notice also that he refused to put this in writing. And that might be because he's lying and it didn't happen. But it might also be that he's ashamed and he doesn't, as a man, want to go on the record and say, my wife hit me with a shoe or she, you know, did this, that or the other thing. This dynamic keeps a lot of men silent about abusive women. They don't want to be looked at as a wimp or a sissy. And they are also aware that they probably won't be believed because the default assumption in our culture is that if there's violence in the home, it's always a man doing it to a woman. There's really no, no room to challenge that without being looked at with suspicion. This is all, all of this, this is what turned Robert Cremo III into an alleged killer. Lots of people have been calling him a psychopath, but I, I'm not convinced. I mean, I don't know, I'm not close enough. I'm obviously not a mental health professional, but you know I make judgments all the time. There are reports that he threatened suicide. Um, and there are other indications that sound more like 
borderline personality disorder than straight up psychopathy. Again, it doesn't mean that you know any one person can't have a mixture of of toxic traits. They can, and, and usually they do. Uh, but I'm I'm not convinced that he's a straight out psychopath. Um, there's no excuse for this, of course. I hate that I feel I have to say it. There's no excuse for the for, for murder, right? But there is probably at least a partial explanation. And we need to be able to acknowledge that young men like this were abused and in incredible emotional pain from very sick parents. That doesn't ameliorate what they did in court. It doesn't ameliorate what they did morally. It doesn't ameliorate it ethically. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be punished. It doesn't mean that they are the real victim. As I say so frequently, explanations are not moral excuses. Explanation, not excuse. When are we going to acknowledge the abuse of boys that happens as a culture? We don't, really. There are some out there who do. Um, there are a few researchers who've really concentrated on this. But generally speaking, we don't acknowledge it. We talk about, we talk about the, the knock-on effects of, early, of, of childhood sexual abuse uh, to girls. We note that, and not just sexual abuse, but verbal abuse, emotional neglect. We note that these girls often end up getting into eating disorders, uh, self-harm, cutting, early indicators of what often turns into borderline personality disorder. But we, we don't talk about how this happens to boys, too. And if we're going to be realistic about this, it is the case. The sexes are different. On average, women and girls will take trauma and turn it inward to themselves. That does not mean they don't express it outward. They do. And they do abuse other people as well as abusing themselves, as most traumatized people do. But if they're going to actually really hurt somebody, physically hurt, they usually hurt themselves or their children if they're mothers. Um, it's much more common for the men, the boys and the men, to turn out to be actual killers. Every once in a while you see a female spree killer, but it's really rare. So sex-typical psychology runs all the way through this. Boys are going to deal with this trauma differently than girls are. If we, if we want to stop this from happening, if we want to stop these killers from being created, we have to change parenting and the culture around parenting and family. I'm not going to live to see this change. Even if I do this show and I do it the best it can be for the rest of my life, I'm not gonna, we're not going to live to see this change. This is going to take a real cultural uprooting. But we need to talk about this, too, and we need to be able to talk about it without being accused of sympathizing with killers and without being accused of being misogynist for um, actually saying boys and men have emotions, too, and when those emotions are abused and distorted, bad things happen to other people. We're coming up on a break here, but I want to, um, I want to say thank you to the several people who put their trust in me this week with my new business venture, which is Slocum Consulting. Isn't that a snazzy title? 
I didn't want anything too glib. I'm open for business. I am giving coaching and consulting hour-long sessions to people who have a problem in their life that looks cluster B or cluster B related and abuse dynamic, whether it's family, bosses, siblings, boyfriends or girlfriends, spouses. Um, you can go to joshuaslocum.net and book a session. And I just started up this week and I had my first clients and they were all viewers and listeners to the show. And I just want to say thank you for having enough trust in me that you shared those, you shared your situations with me and told me about some very difficult things and allowed me to at least try to be helpful to you. I know it can feel like when you see somebody on a television show or you listen to their podcast, you feel like you know them in a certain way. I, I know that. I feel that way often uh, with people I've never met but who I, who I listen to. And some of you have said you feel that way about me. But in reality, I am, I'm actually a stranger. Um, and some of you came forward and, and trusted me enough. And it made it, uh, it really satisfying. And I really I enjoyed talking to you. So if you all are interested, joshuaslocum.net. And we will see you after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. And if I'm not self-promoting enough, here's another one. Would you share our show on social media? Put a link to it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever where, wherever you do your social media. And if you're too much of a wimp to do that, just whisper it to your best friend. Word of mouth helps a lot. Thank you. Take a look and take a listen to this 30-second clip showing three, four, and five-year-old children interacting with two adult police officers. If you couldn't hear that, that little four or five-year-old child is looking up at the police officer as he's hitting him. Kids throwing, throwing punches and slaps. Get away, bitch. What the fuck you doing, bitch? Fuck off. This is a five-year-old, and there are two other children younger than him, probably siblings. 
as well as some teenage boys who are egging this five-year-old child on, calling one of the officers an Oreo head ass, I think I heard him say. Oreo meaning uh, black on the outside, white on the inside, because I assume being a cop must mean that you are a white supremacist even though you're black. I want to point that out too. These children, I want to, you know what, I want to know, I, 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 want, I want to see the first media person explain to me how these children are doing this because of white supremacy. I'd really like to hear that explanation. Because I don't see any white people in this video. I see two black cops who are acting as gentle men. I don't know why they're interacting with the children. I don't know why they were called over there. But, you know, I, I can imagine how they're feeling. What motive does that five-year-old child have to be calling that officer a bitch? What motive does he have to be hitting the officer, telling him to fuck off? No motive, right? No motive. What kind of household do you think those children are being raised in? How do you think their mother speaks? Because you know there's no father in that household either. Because he's undoubtedly, undoubtedly a player thug. A baby daddy. So we've got baby daddy and baby mama who don't live together. They're getting this at home. These children are watching their family members being hit, undoubtedly, by mom or the boyfriend. They're hitting each other. People call each other bitch. They use the word fuck in front of children. And these kids have already been taught that the police are their enemy, even though those police are the same race they are. This is not systemic racism. It's not white supremacy doesn't have anything at all not a drop to do with white people it's trashy living from trashy people abusive probably mentally unstable parents and a culture a trash culture I know this trash culture because we white people have the same thing my household was not we would never have acted like that. For all of my mother's faults, she inculcated proper manners into us. And when we were little, she told us the normal things that mothers used to tell their children, like, if you get lost, look for a mommy or a policeman. It didn't occur to us that well, we would never have spoken to an adult like that, but we wouldn't have been motivated to. Like we didn't have that raw, aggressive disposition toward other adults. But I knew people in the part of town I lived in who did, and they did raise their children like this. It has nothing to do, actually, with skin color at all. This is entirely about culture and values. And these cultures and these values are shit. There's nothing to honor. There's nothing to praise. And it should be flushed down the toilet and replaced with normal family values. Are you an NPR listener? <laughs> I know that sounded like the beginning of... <laughs> it sounded like the beginning of that Sally Struthers commercial. Do you want to make more money? Sure. We all do. <laughs> I'm 
going to get my degree in medical administration. Are you an NPR listener? Because I used to be a regular NPR listener, like all liberals. And I have a confession to make. I was not just an NPR listener. I was a real big part of the problem here in Vermont with NPR and the left. I complained, how many years ago was it? At least somewhere between five and seven years ago. I complained to national, not national public radio, I complained to Vermont public radio, our state's affiliate, about how their newsreader had misgendered Bradley Manning, who goes by the name Chelsea Manning now, the alleged whistleblower from the army. Mm -hmm. I wrote a letter. I was appalled and outraged that they would call Chelsea Manning he. And they took my letter so seriously that the vice president of fundraising took me out to lunch to talk about this. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it happened. It's, I did this. They were, of course, very nice to me. I, it's, VPR, if you're listening to this, I realize that you probably think very little of me right now you probably think I'm the problem. That's fine. Um, but I do want to say that as screwed up as you are, and you are completely screwed up with this ideology, so was I. And I helped put that pressure on you. And I, I'm sorry that I did. I wish I hadn't done it. Obviously, I'm not responsible for the entire tone at Vermont Public Radio. But the look how willing they were to hear this complaint that so, I'm just some random guy. Right? I'm not a household name. I didn't have a show back then. I'm not a household name now. I'm just a guy who lives near Burlington, Vermont. And they sent the vice president of fundraising to take me out to lunch to discuss this. That's how seriously they took it. They were primed and ready to hear this. So I came across this article on The Spectator this week, and I thought I'd share a bit of it with you. When the Public Broadcasting Act was signed into law in 1967, the stated goal was to provide public financial assistance to producers and broadcasters of educational programming. And so PBS and NPR came into existence. They enjoy public funding from taxpayers today. But should taxpayers continue to fund those enterprises when they clearly focus less on educating the public and more on pushing commentary and opinion, and now even libel? Now, what does the author mean by libel? Quote, this weekend, NPR published a story on their website by journalist Hannah Alam. The tweet to the story declared that, quote, right-wing extremists are turning cars into weapons with reports of at least 50 vehicle ramming incidents since protests erupted nationwide in late May. This is referring to 2020. The image accompanying the tweet was a photo of a vehicle surrounded by protesters, suggesting the driver was plowing through them as they stood in the street. Quote, that is not what happened. The photograph was of a driver from Louisville, Kentucky, and an as-yet-unidentified black woman who found herself fleeing after assailants blocked her car. One attacker pulled a gun. They attempted to breach her vehicle through the driver's side window and door, 
punching her repeatedly, and even according to police reports, pulling out one of her braids. When she drove off, striking one of the assailants, another male pulled a gun. Police later identified two suspects and charged them with rioting, disorderly conduct, and obstruction of a highway. But none of this mattered to NPR. The driver was described as a right-wing extremist targeting peaceful protesters. NPR later updated the piece by saying, a previous version of this post and story included a photo of a protester being struck by a car in Louisville, Kentucky. The photo chosen by editors does not appear to be an example of the assaults described in the story and has been replaced, end quote. Well, it gets worse. Quote, the editors, that is the editors of NPR, were so certain of a wave of vehicular right-wing extremist attacks that they were blind to the incident in Louisville that had gone viral a few days earlier. NPR replaced the Louisville photo with one from Charlottesville in 2017 when a white supremacist targeted protesters at an intersection killing one. How many listeners would have known any of this if the spectator hadn't run an article like this? I wouldn't have known. None of my NPR listening friends, I can tell you, would have known and don't know now. And you know what else? I could put this in front of them. I could take this script. I could have lunch with my friends and read this to them, and they still wouldn't acknowledge it. You know? Can't be true. Can't be true. Nope. NPR doesn't lie. CNN doesn't lie. La, 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 la. I, you know, I'd really like to know this. I'd really like to know. And I know there are a few people actually who, who watch or listen to my show who uh, seem to like the show. And I know that they, other than this, they have CNN and NPR on every day. And I just wonder how that cognitive dissonance, how they resolve that. It's a question I'll never get an answer to. This kind of thing, though, it's not, it's, it's not a small mistake. This is very consequential. How much are they lying about? How many topics and how deeply are they lying? Have you noticed that you're afraid to even suggest that black people are capable of lying? Or that black people don't have it as hard as the narrative claims in the United States in 2022? You are afraid to say that. Do you notice how you're afraid to say anything like, Actually, we're seeing that white people are getting discriminated against in reality. And you are afraid to say that, too, as most people are, even when they see it. Even the fact that I just said that, I guarantee, caused some people listening to this to get nervous and feel their stomach clench up. I understand this because it was me. Why? Because of stuff like this from NPR and CNN and NBC, and ABC, and CBS, and the New York Times, and the Washington Post, and MSNBC, and all the major media, because this is all they run all the time. They have created an entire emotional theater, a Potemkin reality of a dystopian, authoritarian, conservative theocracy called the United States in the 21st century. It is so out of sync with the actual reality that we live in, that it is astonishing that it works, but it does work. That is why you're afraid to say these things. 
let's talk about Philadelphia commies. This information comes from my very favorite, well, I was going to say social media account, but uh, she's actually branched out now. She's got a sub stack and she's doing more than just social media. Libs of TikTok. Madam, thank you. This is a story. <laughs> Here's the story of a queer owned business. <laughs> Headline. Queer-owned business shut down by employees for not being woke enough. Blotting break. Mm. Mina's World, a cafe in Philadelphia that prided itself on being queer-owned, has officially closed its doors after a woke employee revolt. The cafe was owned by Kate Egghart and Sonam Parikh, two queer activists who started Mina's in an effort to create an inclusive coffee shop. <laughs> However, their employees have claimed Egghart and Parikh are anti-black and gentrifiers. Gentrifier is a woke term used to describe those who purposely contribute to the displacement of low-income families. Mina's World was located just around the corner from Malcolm X Park in Philadelphia and employed mostly minority workers. Ironically, prior to the allegations from employees, Parikh spoke to Bon Appetit magazine about the opening of Mina's World and said when she worked at different coffee shops, quote, White ownership neglected to protect their black and trans employees. I knew there needed to be a space where you could have an amazingly made cup of coffee that's not whitewashed, end quote. Well, you identified a real need, didn't you? <laughs> they were just beating down the door to get your coffee. Fast forward two years and employees of Mina's World have put out a public statement where they claimed they were suffering from a plethora of systemic woes as a result of the alleged gentrification, including, quote, employer opposition and anti-blackness. Here's where it gets really fun. <laughs> they put out a worker's statement. Do you want to hear it? Sure you do. <laughs> uh, glorious revolution. Workers' statement. Workers at Mina's World have long been in a labor rights struggle with owners Kate and Sonam for well over a year. We are facing systemic employer opposition, manipulation, abuse of power, exploitation, anti-blackness, ableism, hostility, and complete disregard for our livelihoods. It sounds serious. We've been navigating a radical accountability process with Kate and Sonam with the support and guidance of the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative for the last few months. We're reaching out to the larger community in hopes of building power and capacity in this fight. Ding! Your ears should have pricked up. Power. Ding! This is what they want. In this, we hope to count on you to stand in full and complete solidarity with us and organize to disrupt and dismantle this oppressive, these oppressive structures and those enforcing them. Oh, you're going to dismantle them, are you? Going to dismantle the owners? We are now in a position that requires us to publicly air our grievances and demands. Well, but of course you are. You were driven to it. <laughs> We hope we can count on you to act as co-conspirators. We are asking that you amplify our collective 
share statements of support, and further mobilize community support towards our collective liberation. With righteous fire, the workers of man's world. <laughs> Onward, comrade! You know, like that, that narcissistic layabout Karl Marx, these people haven't worked a day in their goddamn lives. They got handed an adult playground in a coffee shop with pushover babysitters set up just to their liking, and they are still not happy. They go to work for a company that opens its doors claiming to be trying to right the wrongs of the world and the anti-blackness and all this stuff, and they're still not happy. You know, there's a list of grievances. Let's read it. <laughs> it does. It says right at the top. List of grievances. Okay, this one's totally getting the voice. All right. Anti-blackness in a multitude of forms and occasions. Ableism in the form of inaccessibility, etc., etc. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Let me pronounce it the uh, millennial way. Etc., etc. <laughs> Um, okay. Exploitation of labor and denial of promise wage increases. Abuse of power. Manipulation. Lack of financial transparency. Tokenization as a way to appear safe by association. We will continue to provide clarity and context to and for this list in the coming days and weeks. <laughs> Notice the lack of specifics, that's deliberate, because none of this ever happened. None of the things that happened represent the assaults that they claimed they experienced. But they're not going to tell you the details because you might check. This is cluster B behavior. It's reputation destruction, it's triangulation, pitting people against each other, it's gathering an army of flying monkeys, and it's victim camouflage. I, it's, it's like I, I devoted a whole segment to the show on the wounded bird camouflage, the faking having a broken wing so that people will feel sorry for you and think of you as the sympathetic party so that you can get away with all manner of deception. What do they want? Well, everything that does not belong to them. I'll let them tell you in their own words. List of demands, it says at the top. Public acknowledgement and accountability for grievances and harm caused. Hear that? Harm caused. Immediate payment to staff that have had payment withheld, including back pay. Owners redistribute their business and begin the process of transforming the business into a cooperative. Redistribute. The They're literally demanding that the owners give them their business. Give it to them. For the glory of worker revolution. I've got to work on my Russian accent. It's one of my shitty ones. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> you, want, you want to hear what the owners have to say? Roll it, Kevin. This is Sonam. And Kate. From Nina's <laughs> World. Um, we're going live as part of a radical accountability process. Um, we're complicit in the gentrification and anti-blackness on 52nd Street. We put our community at risk with our presence, um, as well as our workers. And particularly, this was highlighted by an action from us, and we are here to take responsibility 
um, for that inaction and for the harm that we caused. The harm that we caused. With the guidance of the workers and Black and Brown Workers Collective, we're trying to raise funds to buy the business and turn it over to our staff. Um, as the owners of the space, we put our workers in harm's way each day that we're open and we want to recognize that harm and want to uplift their concerns and needs. Um, recognize. We want to uh, be accountable for our complicitness and uh, our complicitness with gentrification and our engagement with anti-blackness um, in that gentrification. And in that space. And in that space, yeah. The workers <laughs> of Nino's World deserve so much more. They have worked beyond their means. They have made the space what it is, and our ultimate goal is to return the space to them and give them the shop that they truly deserve to have. And what we're asking you to do right now is to stay tuned for a funder so that we can raise the funds to turn over the space to them and to make sure that they get to have Nina's world in the way that they have envisioned it and rightfully should have it. We're trying to work with a third owner Back to, UK. to buy the business and the property. Um, and we're asking for funds so that we can do that. Um, our ownership and our place as a business and the owners of that business on 52nd Street have caused harm and the exploitation of our workers and, gentrif and gentrifying the neighborhood. Um, okay. Kate, hi Kate, if you were just um, listening and not watching, he's a 21-year-old, super skinny, uh, white kid with bleach blonde hair, um, who's allegedly a trans woman. He's actually just that kid in the computer lab. It's, I know you don't have computer labs at school anymore, but if you're old, you'll know what I'm talking about ridiculous this is pathetic i was talking about that actually before i even got out of bed this morning i'm on the phone with kevin and we're talking about this what did he say about this that it was um i remember what it was but it's it's not just pathetic it's contemptible i hope both of these two cannot meet their rent i hope that this really hurts them i hope it hurts them badly enough to wake them up I hope it really, really fucking hurts. They weren't complicit in harming their workers. They were complicit in digging their own graves. It's as if they were pretending their captors had guns trained on them, but they were just cap guns and they were still digging their own graves voluntarily. What, like, what, what could possibly, uh, you know, don't shit where you eat. They are the problem. This is the woke eating the woke. The revolution will always come for you. This is the, this is Marxism. This is communism. That's not just a snide right wing thing to say. It's not just a reflexive ejaculation. It's true. This is what communism does. This is anti-human. You want to know the kicker though? You, do you think do you think that I already gave you the punchline because I didn't? Here it is. Put it on the screen, Kevin. <laughs>
<laughs> 511 South 52nd Street is now for sale by the owners who are not them. <laughs> See you next week.